Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Well, amen. It's good to see you as we worship together, as we study God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and be turning to the Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Today we're going to talk about where you are going to dwell. I pray that you are going to dwell there in that glorious place that Jesus has made especially for you. Last week we began in chapter 21 and introduced to you that there is one who is coming to make all things new. He made a new heaven. He made a new earth. He also says there in verse 2, we had read, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. He's making a new city in New Jerusalem. He also made a new place of worship, and he made a new existence. He's making all things new. But I shared with you that we would just kind of skip over verse 2, because beginning in verse 9, it describes in great detail the holy city, the new Jerusalem. That is the place where you... The righteous one will dwell. That one who is redeemed by Jesus. That one who's a part of the family of God. So do you want to hear this morning about your heavenly home and your heavenly city? You ought to want to hear about that. Of what God is doing in this holy place that he has prepared for you and for me. That's what it says in verse number 9. It says, And one of the seven angels, listen, who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues, came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. We'll stop there for just a minute. Isn't it interesting that this angel gets to come and make a glorious announcement? Whenever he was introduced to us before, he had a horrible task. His horrible task was what it says in verse 9. He was one of those seven angels who had those final seven bowls of wrath that were going to be poured out of the purging of this creation, the judgment of God. It was a horrible thing. Remember, we read about it. It doesn't tell us which one of those seven angels, but one of those seven angels who had a horrible experience and a horrible job of judging this world now comes and has the opportunity of offering a great invitation and to participate in the introducing to John and to us the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Don't you think he enjoyed that a whole lot more than he enjoyed the judgment? I bet he did. Having the chance to take John and to say to John, John, I want you to come here. And God has given me the privilege of being able to share with you and show you the new Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem. He says, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, this holy city, the New Jerusalem, is not only going to be the home of the bride. And who is the bride of Christ? The church, all right? So the church of the living God is going to live here in this New Jerusalem. 
But it's not only going to be the home of the bride, it's also going to be the bride itself. It says when it comes down, I want to show you, I want to show you this one who is the bride of Christ. I want to show you this place that is adorned as one would adorn their bride. I want to show you this glorious place called the New Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. And it says he carried him away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed the holy city Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God. So get in your mind. Whenever the new Jerusalem is made, it is not made here on this earth. But rather, the new Jerusalem is being made in heaven. It is being prepared in heaven. And when it is the right time, God is going to send forth the new Jerusalem down here to this new earth. All right? So you think about it. It's being prepared. It's being a prepared city, and it's being prepared up there in heaven. It's going to be the dwelling place of the bride of Christ. It's going to be the dwelling place and the home of all those redeemed Old Testament saints alike, as we'll see in just a minute. It's going to be that place, and it's being prepared in heaven. Do you remember anywhere in Scripture, do you remember anybody in Scripture talking about that they were going to go to heaven and prepare a place? Does anybody remember anything about that? John chapter 14, that's right, verse 2. John chapter 14, verse 2. It was Jesus talking to the disciples right before he's going to be crucified, right before he's going to ascend and go into heaven. And what did he tell them? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And from the time that Jesus ascended and left, he has been preparing the place for his bride. Remember the role of the bridegroom was that when he was betrothed to the bride, he would leave the bride and go to his place and he would prepare himself and prepare the place for his bride. And when the place was prepared, then he would come and take the bride and get the bride and carry the bride to that place that's been especially prepared for her. You got that picture? So Jesus is there in heaven preparing this glorious and wonderful, not a house, a city. A glorious city that Jesus is building a glorious city that Jesus is preparing. And whenever he has it prepared, and when it is time and it is ready, he is going to bring that new Jerusalem to this earth. He's going to bring that new Jerusalem, that dwelling place, to this earth. Now, get in your mind and say, well, well, what about us? Whenever we die before it's time for the millennial reign and before him to reestablish this new heaven and new earth, what it He is letting us live there right now. Amen? (laughs) He's prepared that place for us, and that new Jerusalem is there in heaven. And while he's preparing it for the end and preparing it for come, whenever it's time for us, he's prepared our place. We have a place to dwell. And so we get to dwell in that new Jerusalem. We get to enjoy that place prepared for us, that glory of God. We get to enjoy that when we die, if we die before the end time and before all these events are going to take place, we get to enjoy it there. But when it is time, he is going to bring forth that 
new Jerusalem, that holy city, to this earth. That's why he says, I was watching on a high mountain and he showed me the holy city coming down from heaven. Down out of heaven from God. Now there's a little side note to that. Uh, Many theologians believe that when it's the time for the millennial reign. At the time of the millennial reign, they believe that the new Jerusalem is actually going to come and it is going to be suspended above the earth. It's going to be suspended. It's not going to be on the earth. It's going to be suspended above the earth. And it's going to be suspended above the earth in order for those who are the redeemed, those who are glorified, those who have already received their glorified bodies who are coming back to reign with Jesus, that will be their dwelling place instead of them dwelling on the earth. I don't know if that's true or not, but it could be very possible. That that would be where the glorified ones, the redeemed ones, those who come with him, will live in that city that is suspended above the earth at that time. And they will be there until the millennial reign is over. And then you remember what happens after the millennial reign. God is going to destroy or he is going to remake the earth. It is either going to be annihilated or it is going to be regenerated. But something's going to happen to transform that to make it a new heaven and a new earth. And the idea is that that new Jerusalem can't come to this earth at this time. It can't come during the millennial reign. Why? Because a holy city cannot come to a sinful earth. A holy city cannot dwell in a sinful earth. And it's not able to come down and dwell here and be on this earth until he makes a new heaven and a new earth. And when he makes that new heaven and that new earth, now the holy city comes down and it is able to be here on that new earth that he has made new. But whether you die, you're going to be in that new Jerusalem and you're going to come down in the new Jerusalem That is going to be the place for the redeemed to live. For the redeemed to live. Now, what does it say about this new Jerusalem? I I want you to see, first of all, just the overall description of the new Jerusalem. It's found in one verse right there. Look at verse 11. This new Jerusalem, this holy city, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. If you want to give an overall description to this holy city, the new Jerusalem, when John saw it, he says, it's the glory of God. It's the essence of the glory of God. And then he tries to describe it. He says, it is like a crystal clear jasper. Well, The jasper stone that he's talking about is not what we would think is jasper. I'll show you a jasper stone in just a moment that's a part of the foundation. What he's describing as a jasper stone would be what we would describe as a diamond. But did you know that in the first century, in the first century, a diamond was not considered a gem at that time? It was not considered a gem. So he's describing what he's seeing. And this is what he says. When this city is coming down out of heaven to come to this earth, it is like a glorious diamond. The most beautiful diamond that you could ever picture that is illuminated. It is illuminated by a light that is indescribable. A light that is beyond what we could ever grasp because it's not the source of the sun or the moon. But the source of the light that illuminates it and makes it shine is the glory and the presence of God. 
Now, could you imagine that? This huge diamond that is so beautiful and magnificent and clear. And it is illumined by the glory of God, which makes it sparkle in every fraction and every corner that could be imagined. He says the overall view of that city is just like that. How would you have liked to have the job to have to describe what that looked like? He says that is the overall view of that city. It's the fullness of the glory of God like a diamond that is shining so bright. Well, he goes on though, and he begins to give us the description of the city in greater detail. Description of the city in greater detail. And and I want to take that and, and give you that description by doing it this way. He first of all describes it from the outside. And then he describes it from the inside. All right? So let's see how he describes it from the outside. Let's see what, let's see what he says about that. First of all, he describes it in, in terms of its size. He says it is a gigantic city. It is a gigantic city. And he says that as he goes down here when he says in verse 15 and following. Listen what it says. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod 1,500 miles. Its length and its width and its height are all equal. Did you hear that? Now listen, this is a city like you've never seen before. It is going to have dimensions that you have never grasped before. Here are the dimensions. He says that angel has a a measuring rod and he goes forth to measure out the city. And when he measures out that city, it is a gigantic city. It is 1,500 miles wide. It is 1,500 miles long. But hold on a second. It is 1,500 miles high. Now, that's hard for us to grasp. For our cities are laid out in two dimensions, basically. (laughs) They're how wide they are and how long they are. And we don't count much about their height other than the height of whatever that building might be. But we don't imagine the height of a city. We never consider. But this city has height to it. 1,500 miles. Wide, long, and high. It has a dimension to it that we cannot grasp. The fact that people could live at different levels. It is either laid out as a cube or it could be laid out as a pyramid. But somehow it is laid out that it has this width, this height, this length to it. And it is so large that this is what the truth it tells us. It is so large, it's big enough for everybody. Don't worry about it getting overcrowded. Amen? You don't have to worry about getting it overcrowded. 1,500 miles would basically, if you just took in in, uh, the United States, it'd be almost half of the United States. If you took it from north part of the United States and crossed about middle of Texas and up, that would be about how wide it would be, how long it would be, but then how high it is and the different dimensions. There is room for everybody. Get that in your mind. There's room enough for you. Amen? 
But not only does it describe the fact of those walls, it also tells uh, about the, the, the gigantic city. It tells us about the wall around it. Look at verse 12. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, the 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and them, on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Look down verse 17. And he measured its wall, and set, it was 72 yards high, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. So not only does this city have this huge, huge city, but it has a wall around it. And it says that the wall is 72 yards high, or 216 feet high. Get that in your mind. Now let me show you. If you were to look at the top of this building, go ahead, you can look up. If you were to look at the top of this building, based on that basketball goal, the top of this building is about 30 feet high. Okay, about 30 feet high. So if you were to look at that and you multiply that times seven, all right, times seven, that would be the height of the wall. That would be the height of the wall. Could you imagine a wall? We can't get together to build one 30 feet, can we? (laughs) God's going to build one 216 feet. A wall that he is building. But not only is it the wall that he's building... It says he's also building gates. There are 12 gates, three on each wall, north, south, east, west. Each one of those gates has a name on it. It's a name of one of the tribes of Israel, which tells you that the Old Testament saints are going to be indwelling this place as well. It says that those gates are there, and those gates are in place. It also tells you what those gates are made of. Look at verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. Did you hear that? The gates are one pearl. One pearl. Now here's a a wall 216 feet high. How big that gate is proportioned, at least the the gate has to be close to 216 feet high. And that's going to be one pearl. Somebody said... I'd like to see that pearl. Another fellow said, I'd like to see that oyster. Because <laughs> you know how a pearl is made, right? It's because of the aggravation of the sand in the oyster, and he puts upon it a coating which makes that, that pearl. And the pearl was, was always a gem of, of royalty. It was the idea that through the midst of struggle, there is beauty and there is peace. For in the midst of rulership, there had to be the struggles before there could be the peace. And here are these 12 pearls that are the gates to the wall. Now, what do the gates and the wall have to do with that? It tells you this. Not only is there plenty of room, it's also a place of security and protection. It's a place of security and protection. When you live in the holy city of Jerusalem, you never have to be afraid. 
You will never have to be afraid because you are protected by Almighty God. Now, here's an interesting thing about those gates. Look at verse 25. Don't miss this. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. Its gates shall never be closed. Do you know what that tells us? It tells us that God makes these beautiful pearl gates, but they're never going to be used. They don't have to be used. For see, gates were used whenever the danger came and protection had to happen, and you put people inside the city and you close the gate to protect from the outside. But what it's saying to us is you don't have to worry. There is no danger on the outside either. In this holy place, there's nothing to protect you from because sin and the curse are gone. Amen? Bless God. The sin and the curse are gone. There's nothing on the outside and there's nothing on the inside. But God just gives you the walls and he gives you the gates to let you know that you're always protected and you're always secure in the family of God. You're always safe. You're always secure in the holy city of Jerusalem. Wow. Well, it describes not only, though, the gigantic city and and the fact of describing these walls and gates. It also describes something that's very unusual. It describes the foundation stones. The foundation stones. Look at verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, on the gates, there were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. On the foundation stone, there are 12 in number, and they're the 12 apostles' names. Which tells you it's the Old Testament, and it's the New Testament, and it's the dwelling place for all of those who are righteous. But here's the unusual thing. If you have ever built anything, or you've been around construction, you know that typically foundations are dug out, Foundations are put in the ground, and the foundation is the most important part of the building, but it's usually never seen. It's usually never seen. The foundation of a house is usually never seen. All the things that keep it strong are never seen. It's it's all underground. But God says in this holy city, he reveals his foundation. He reveals that foundation that this city is built upon, that this wall is built upon. He wants it to be revealed. And and where you would have just brick and mortar and block and stuff of very little value that you put underground, what his foundation is are some beautiful, beautiful gems. The most beautiful gems that you could imagine. The most colorful stones that there could be. His foundation upon which he builds are those beautiful, wonderful, glorious stones that he created, that he brought into existence. And they are 12 in number. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a chart up on the board. You see that chart? These are the 12 stones. You can see them in your, in your Bible there. But beginning from the top, it says there was jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, al- emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, burial, topaz, chrysoprasus, jacinth, 
and amethyst. And each one of them has a distinct color from the ruby colored red of sardius to the sapphire blue to the burial that is the ocean green to the emerald that is the bright green to purple to the yellow chrysolite. And it's just beautiful stones. I wish you could see the picture. Here's actually the picture a little bit better than there. You can go online and pick that up. But those, each one of those stones, imagine, are the stones that are around the foundation, under the foundation, part of the foundation of a wall that is the circumference of 1,500 miles in each direction. Imagine that. And you might say, well, why, why is that important that he would do that? Why, why is it important that, that those stones were identified? Why would Jesus do that? Because remember this, and write this down, okay? This is very important. When the bridegroom went away to prepare the place for his bride, he prepared the place for his bride in relationship to two things. He prepared the place for his bride, the dwelling place for his bride, first on the basis of his wealth. On the basis of his wealth. A poor man might build a common house, but a wealthy man was able to build a far more beautiful dwelling place. And Jesus wants us to see what he has built for us because it is a testimony of his wealth. He is wealthy, amen? <laughs> I mean, he's the God of all riches. He owns everything. He owns everything, and whatever he needs, he can create, amen? If he needs stones, where are you going to find that many stones? God doesn't have any problem with that. He created the first one. He can create all he wants, amen? But whenever Jesus goes away and is preparing this dwelling place for his bride. He gives a testimony of his wealth and his riches. But there's a second thing. A second way that he built his house was in relationship to his adoration. His adoration and admiration for his bride. Now, the wealth of Jesus is important. Amen? How wealthy. But do you know what's far more important? is that he wants to build and to bring this glorious dwelling place for his righteous ones. He wants to bring it to us, to let us know. Listen to me now, it's very important. To let us know how much he adores us. How much he adores us. Now, now hold on a second. We're constantly telling you that you need to adore Jesus. We're constantly telling you you need to worship Jesus. We're constantly telling you that you need to give glory to Jesus. That is all true. But in this occasion, this is your opportunity to understand just how much Jesus adores you, admires you, considers you of great value. And when he brings that holy city down, it is a testimony of what he's done because of you. He didn't build you a lean-to. He built you a precious gem. 
where even the foundation stones that he builds around the wall of the place he built for you are the precious and most beautiful stones and color that he could ever bring about, and it's all because of you. You ought to feel blessed by that, friend. I want to tell you. It's one thing for me to adore Jesus, but it's another thing for the Word of God to tell me He adores me, and He considers me of value. And He brings a holy city here with all the glory for me, for you. Well, very quickly, I want you to see the description on the inside, at least partial description on the inside, and we'll pick up with the rest of that there. It begins in... In uh, verse 21, the second part, he goes inside of the, of the gates and he says, And the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. The first thing he sees about the city, if you heard this all your life, we'll walk on streets of <laughs> We'll walk on streets of gold. Let me tell you what's great about that. The asphalt of heaven is gold. Isn't that right? I mean, gold is precious to us. And in our world, it is so wonderful. How much it is an ounce? And do you have a pound of it? And what can you do with that? Gold is so very precious in our commodity system. Asphalt's not. You go drive on asphalt every day. You go walking on asphalt every day. Asphalt is all around us every day. And most of us never walk around and say, Boy, isn't this glorious asphalt? We don't do it. We walk on it without recognition. Well, gold is so common. That it's walked on without recognition. It's the asphalt of heaven. But it's not just the gold that you see. Gold that you have is opaque. You can't see through. This is a transparent gold. Can you imagine that? A gold that you can see through. A gold that you can walk on and you see through and you see the depths of it. It's something you cannot ever imagine. But there is John walking on these streets of transparent gold. But that's not all. He begins to identify some notable notable things that are not there. Th- things that he's noticed that have been left out. These are notable things. Look, look what he says right here. It says in verse 22, I saw no temple in it. There's no temple, no place of worship. Why? For the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, are its temple. He goes on in verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon. There's no sun or moon there to shine upon it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. You know what you're going to live by? The lamp of the Lamb of God. He goes on, and it says in verse 25, I shared with that a minute ago. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. And he says, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nation. Look at verse 27. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it. There'll be no uncleanness there. 
Then notice what it says in verse 3 of chapter 22. And there shall be no longer be any curse. I'll talk more about that next week. That is a glorious thing. There'll be no more curse. And in verse 5, and there shall no longer be any night. Those are things that we're used to having. They're not going to be there anymore. But there's no need of them. But he does identify some things that are going to be there. And one of those things that he says, I want you to notice there in verse 24, it says, and the nation shall walk by its light. Here it is. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. Verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Do you know what is going to be filling that place? There's some things that aren't going to be there. We used to, but you know what's going to be filling that place? The glory of the nations. The glory of the nations. The kings of the nations will walk in before the Son of God and bring all the glory. Now, the picture of that is that when a great kingdom or a great king would overcome these smaller kingdoms, these smaller kingdoms would come into the presence of the great king and they would bring their treasuries and all their wealth and anything that that was of honor in their nation, they would bring that and march it by the greatest king of all. They would march it by in his honor. Now, they may be able to retain that, but they marched it by to let him know that they realize that it's his anyway. (laughs) He may let them keep it in their nation, but they marched by with all that glory to say, this is yours, and we realize that it's yours. And so the picture here is that the kings of the nations, of all the nations, and who is that? There will be someone from every tongue and every nation who will be redeemed. Amen? That means every nation will be represented. And every nation and the king of every nation will walk by and and give their glory, give their glory to to God and to his son. To God and to his son. And you say, well, man, what does that, that little bit of treasure have to do with all the great and glorious things that's already in the kingdom? That's a good point. Listen to me now. Here's the real truth. What we bring with our earthly possessions, what we think is our treasure, is tinker toys. Amen? It's just tinker toys. But do you know what it really means when it says it brings the glory of the nations, the glory and honor of the nations? It's talking about the people. It's the people. If you want to get a picture of that, it's kind of like the Olympic Games. You know the Olympic Games and the opening and closing ceremonies? Well, they have every nation who's represented, they walk under their flag. And when they walk under their flag, all the athletes walk around the flag. Some, some nations will have a lot of athletes. The U.S. will. Some, some nations maybe have only two or three athletes who come under the flag. But every nation passes by who's participating in that. And they all go by the standard. And everybody applauds and everything. And, and that in the Olympic Games, that is the glory of the nation. For those are their athletes who are going to represent them in the games. The real picture is when we get into the New Jerusalem, walking by will be every nation. And those underneath those flags are not those who compete in athletic games, but they are those who are redeemed. The redeemed of every nation. For see, the greatest treasure and the greatest glory of God is people. 
Isn't that right? He came and did what he did for people. Not possessions, for people. And you and I will have the opportunity of parading by him to give him all glory that we are redeemed because of what the Lamb of God did for us. And there's going to be a glorious parade of the glory of the nations and the honor of the Lamb of God. And I can't wait to be a part of it. Amen? I get to walk under a standard. I get to be a part of it. And you do too, if you know Jesus. Let me show you the mercy of our God. Here he is in verse 27. Don't miss it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it. Here it is. Listen. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there once again is the announcement. There once again on the closing verses of this last revelation is once again that announcement. Only if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Will you accept Jesus? Will you allow him to be your Lord and Savior? Will you put your faith and trust in him? Will you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life so that what has been prepared and is being prepared and one day will be revealed, you'll be a part of? Will you give your heart to Jesus? If you don't know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life today, you need to make sure. You need to settle that today. You need to give your heart to Jesus. Because, see, Jesus loves you. He adores you. He died on the cross for you. And one day, he wants to bring to you that glorious place he's preparing for you. That you understand just how much he cares about you. Give your heart to Jesus today. If I were lost, I'd get saved today. <laughs> if my name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I'd be the first one down the aisle. Give my heart to Jesus and ask Jesus in my heart. He's still saving people, amen? I had an opportunity this week, a kind of an unusual thing. I had an opportunity to talk to an 83-year-old woman who watches us by television. And she's been watching the Revelation series, and through the Revelation series, she asked Jesus Christ to come into her heart and her life. And she, uh, she came, came to my office the other day, and we're going to baptize her. 83 years old with a cane. She says, yeah, I want to be baptized. But through the teaching of God's word and through the revelation of his word and through the truth, people can be saved. Amen. And just as she was saved, if you don't know Jesus, you can be saved. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website, at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.